Hello and welcome back to the Dialcast, hosted by myself, Ash Wilson. Every week we'll be bringing you all the latest and exclusive news from Dial Square Football Club, run by the fans, for the fans. We'll also be providing you exclusive interviews with the board, players and fans, to keep you entertained every week with all things relating to Dial Square Football Club. Last week we had goalkeeper Ben Bateman on the show. Thank you to those that listened to the interview. And if you haven't, then please give it a listen. We are on all the usual platforms. Right, Gooners. Gooners. You are in for a very, very special treat. None other than Ian Selly has agreed to join me on the Dialcast. Ian, first of all, welcome to the show and how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you on. A real, real coup for us it is getting an ex-player on, you know. Um, so really, really happy to have you on. I'm sure our, all the fan members and all our listeners will as well. Um, just... Just going back to the start, Ian, can you just give the fans an insight into your background in football and your introduction to the game? Where did it all begin for you? Uh, well, basically, I uh, my dad was the manager of my brother's team uh, locally in Chertsey in Surrey and uh, a team called Ace United. And I used to go to the games with him and that, obviously bringing a, bring a younger brother and that. And uh, yeah, he started up another team. Uh, and basically, you know, our team wasn't particularly brilliant, but we had probably three or four good players within that team. And we managed to get to a few sort of local sort of West Surrey Boys League Cup finals and, and was very lucky to sort of obviously get spotted uh, over a period of time playing for them. So, uh, you know, I got spotted with uh, this guy called Tony Gibbs who was watching a few of the games that I was involved in and, um, you know, basically took us up on trial uh, to the JVC Centre under under Pat Rice. So that's pretty much, you know, obviously where, where the first, and that was when I was 10 years old. So I was obviously very, very young then. So did you spend your whole youth career with, with Arsenal? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was there from ten years old and uh, went through as a schoolboy. Uh, used to go up um, and sort of stay in hostels with all the, all the lads from sort of uh, Ireland, Wales, and Scotland and the UK, sort of out of town boys, as it were. So we used to go up for a couple of weeks, train at London Colney, uh, and it, I'll be honest, it was a, it was a real sort of hard process. It was, I was, I was quite introvert. I was very, very quiet, and when you're sort of mixing with guys that were seemed to be, you know, sort of young men as it were, even as a kid, you know, I was quite small and thin as well. So it was quite a big, uh, a big shock initially. But um, yeah, family, my family feet, I got under Pat, obviously Pat Rice was uh, taking me for a lot of sessions and he was great with us. And I think you could see that, you know, I used to work very, very hard at what I did. And, um, you know, fortunate for me, he, he took us on as a schoolboy and then uh, he took us on as a YT. What was that, what was that feeling like when you first walked through those, those famous doors at Highbury? I, it was it was amazing. Even at the training ground, when we were sort of you know we we're sort of fighting to get a schoolboy contract and a YT contract, you know, was the first team players are sort of in and amongst the sort of the the restaurant there having their lunches, and you're sort of you can see them training on the pitch with George Graham. So you sort of you you always sort of tend to be around them because they was always there. Um, but obviously, as a young kid, you know you. Yeah, you, know, you see him on TV. You see him in training. You, you see him at games when you get invited to get tickets to go and watch the games and stuff. It was um, it, it was always a real good club, as in they always looked after the younger players. And you know, it, it was probably one of the reasons why you know I signed as a pro. There, I, I could have gone to Chelsea uh, when I was sixteen, but um, you know, because I'd been at Arsenal so long, and, and George Graham at the time was giving all the young players an opportunity, like Tony Adams. You know, you got Merce. Um, you know, uh, all the all the sort of UK-based players there, they, they was all getting opportunities to play in the first team. So it was a bit of a no-brainer for me that uh, it was a club that, you know, I, I initially was a Liverpool fan when I was a kid. My dad used to work for Crown Paints and we used to go and watch a lot of their games. So I was sort of converted from a Liverpool fan. Uh, by the time I was 11, 12, I was uh, an Arsenal fan and, and obviously followed that through. And, it, you know, it, it's a fantastic club. Yeah, definitely. And um, look, what, do you remember your debut at all? Um, your first team debut? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Blackburn, Blackburn at Highbury. So uh, I, I went away on a pre-season trip to Norway with the first team uh, during pre-season and I wasn't expected to go, to be honest. And, you know, uh, the day before the team left, uh, I got told that I was on the trip. So I initially thought I was just going to be just a bit of a helping hand and a bit of experience. But um, to be honest, I was training with them all the time and uh, managed to play some decent games, which I played well in. Uh, and then, you know, a few months into the season, George threw us in um, against uh, Blackburn. And, uh, yeah, that... I don't remember too much of the game, to be honest. I know that I was very, very nervous and felt physically sick before going out. But, uh, you know, it was, it, once I got the game started, I, I think I got booked for kicking Alan Shearer after about 15, 20 minutes. So, it was, you know, it sort of settled me down a little bit. But it was, um, yeah, it's one of those things you, you, as a kid, you sort of dream of actually to sort of, you know, when I was lining up in the tunnel just before I went out, you know, you're sort of looking around, you've got all the, the Arsenal legends playing alongside me and you're playing against, you know, Blackburn, which were a decent side then. 
it was it was a real sort of good experience. But uh, again, it, you know, let's like say before the game, I was I was petrified. It was really nerve wracking. But um, you know, I did okay, and you know, managed to get a chance a few months after that. What was it? I mean, I can I can imagine how petrifying it would be, how nerve wracking it would be. Um, what was the thing you noticed about the crowd the most when you first ran out? Um, obviously, the noise when you when you come out, but yeah. what was it that you that you sort of noticed on the pitch the most? Um, and did did that did that throw you off at, at all, or do you know, or did you just something you got used to really really quickly? I think I settled into it fairly quickly. I think as you know, when also the noise was fantastic going out and yeah, we always used to do the same thing. We come out and we go into the centre circle and obviously clap the fans in the middle and that. It's not sort of then when you sort of look around, you can't really see individual faces. It's all a bit of a sort of a blur when you look at the, the fans. But the fans, I think, because I was a young lad as well, I think you get a little bit of a uh, bit of leeway if you make mistakes because you're sort of a young kid. And um, yeah, they were, they were brilliant. You know, every time you know, if I made a mistake, it wasn't seem to be an issue. Uh, but I think, you know, I think they saw that... Uh, you know, I had that, that will to sort of, you know, do the best I can and help the team. And, you know, I always used to work very, very hard during games. And I think they, you know, might not technically be the best player, but I'd always try and make sure I gave 100%. And I think they took that on board, I think. Yeah. Um, as a football fan, I, you know, I if someone's working hard and, you know, things might not be going as, as well for the team during the game, but if you see individuals working hard, you tend to stay off their back um, yeah. and, and get, as you said, give them a bit of leeway, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's the, the, maybe the problem nowadays with uh, you know not knocking the, the the modern professional footballers, but you know they're obviously on a on bundles of money, and and sometimes you know you don't get that that work rate from. They seem to be walking around a lot, and it, it, it you know obviously from coming to someone that wasn't you know I was a half decent player, but was never you know a top player. Uh, you know it's really frustrating because you think well they're earning all this money, the least they can do is give 110% and graft up and down the pitch and put some tackles in and, and, and sort of look as though they care for the game. But, uh, you know, fortunately now it's, it is money dominated and, and, you know, you do get players that have unbelievable ability, but, you know, you sometimes question their work rate in games. Yeah, I've, I've seen it a lot over the years. Uh, players just strolling about like they don't care. But um, <laughs> some, a, lot of, a lot of clubs have bought in these little tracking monitor things that players wear on their backs now. So every every inch that they make on that pitch um, is is now tracked and monitored through this computer system, and uh, you, you can't really you can't really walk around anymore. Uh, <laughs> you can't really get away with it, so yeah. to speak. So if the fan misses it, then the the computer and, and the manager misses it, then the computer certainly won't. So they've got nowhere to really turn anymore. Yeah, there's there's no there's no hiding place now. Like they, they, that sort of equipment was around sort of a while ago when when um, I think I just left Arsenal actually, but yeah, it'd be the belt around the chest and stuff, and uh, you was expected to you know put, during the end sort of close season put some work in, and a lot of lads were getting around it by sticking the thing on their dog and that and taking their dog for a walk and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but but there's there's no there's no hiding place now. Yeah, you know, the data that these clubs have and the, the amount of people that work in the clubs that collect these data and they hand it on the manager's desk in the mornings after the games and it's yeah, you know, there's no hiding place. But you know, like I say, you still can see you know a lot of the, a lot of players, the modern players, you know, not not putting that shift in. And um, you know, as a as a fan, it, it, it can be very very frustrating sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, totally agree with you. Um, Going to talk about one of the. Mate, it may be the highlight of your career. I don't know. You're going to tell me anyway. But um, the European Cup Winners' Cup 94 run, um, final against Parma. I, I have been in, reliably informed that you are the youngest ever player and still are to win a UEFA competition winner's medal. Right? Do you want to talk about that game for us? Yeah, yeah. It was, do you know what? It was... Um... It was a fantastic run because I think you know we were we were quite limited on on what what we had in the squad really, but we we managed to sort of uh, you know from the first round sort of bundle our way through a little bit. And um, I think the, the key thing with it was uh, George was really hot on sort of um, you know working a lot on about the opposition, and we get we get like you know paperwork handed on our, our, our change room spot, you know, with the players we're playing against in the particular game and where they normally roam around, where they are on free kicks. And a lot of work went sort of on the back room with that. So when you when you sort of lined up against the player and you, you, you're, you're facing him before kickoff, you've got a real good insight of of what he's likely to do, where he's likely to go. You'd watch videos of him. So that that part of it really, really helped us. And I think, you know, I say a couple of them games in that run up to the final, we were, you know, we rode our luck a little bit, but... You know, I think we just we were just very very hard to beat, and we we hit some teams on the counters. When you got right up front, you know, he he would if he had half a chance, the chance to score it. 
So, uh, but yeah, to get to the final was, was, you know, I think we were all a little bit surprised, but we just had that feeling in pretty much all the games that, you know, we went out there with uh, George put a real positive sort of vibe going through the team. And we always felt that, you know, we're not just going out there to, to get, we'd go out there and we, there's a good chance that if we, if we'd done the right things and we worked on what we worked in training that we'd get results. So, um, you know, and I think with the, the final itself, you know, I think when you looked at the team sheets, you know, we, we had Johnny Jensen was out, Wrighty was out, Dave Billy was out. You know, our army field was you know, obviously me, Dave O and Stevie Morrow. And I think, I think you know, the press and media, you know, was sort of just counting how many goals we're going to concede and how we're going to get beat by. Because, you know, they had like the Brolins, Spreelia, Zola, you know, they had some fantastic players. But, you know, we, you know, Smithy scored sort of early on in the game and, um, you know, it's backs against the wall. We rode our luck a little bit. Dave Seaman obviously was playing for a couple of broken ribs, but he made a couple of fantastic saves. And yeah, we just we just grafted the full ninety minutes, and and we managed to scrape it. But the big thing of that was the, the following we had uh, in the in the stands. You know, like you look at the sort of the Palmer crowd, and there wasn't many there, but the Arsenal end was was chocker, and the noise they made it, it really. Yeah, when I remember the last 15, 20 minutes, it just seemed to take forever to go. But you know, it was cramping up, but when you hear the voices and the, the, the chanting going on behind you, it, was, it just kept you going and, you know, we managed to scrape it. So it was, you know, when you look back on it, it was, it was real good fond memories, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a game I remember from, from my childhood. Anyway, I watched it with my nan and granddad. I was only seven and I, I remember Alan Smith's goal. And then, as you said about backs against the wall for the, because as you said as well about the press, it, you know, they, they basically said that you've got no right beating that Palmer team. Um, you had Bucci in goal and all the, you know, the star, star players. And yeah, it was just like, it seemed to be under the cosh for like the whole game. And, you know, see our hearts are in our mouths at home and, you know, oh God, you know what I mean? You know, any minute now, a goal's going to be, it never did. And, and uh, he saw the job out uh, much to everyone's delight. Was that, the, was, was that your highlight, would you say, Ian? Yeah, I think I think you probably. I was quite quite lucky, really. The first couple of years when I sort of turned pro, I was you know fortunate that first season. You know, we were we won the FA Cup against Sheffield Wednesday. We won the Coca Cola Cup, the League Cup. You know, um, and it was sort of a you know sort of going into that environment as an eighteen year old. It was it was initially I was quite daunted, but the first team boys were brilliant around us. They really looked after us and stuff. And we, like I say, we weren't ever the, the greatest team, but we seemed to be picking up sort of trophies, and it sort of became a habit of winning. You know, we beat Spurs in the semi-final at Wembley, you know, which, again, was another a big thing for me. Also, all my mates are Spurs fans, so uh, to sort of, they all came to the game and, you know, we turned them over 1-0. Tony Adams scored in there. And it, it, there's so many sort of memories in that first couple of seasons when I turned pro that was, that stand out, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I was just fortunate to sort of be there the right, you know, in the right time, but I had a lot of luck in it. George, you know, was giving lads opportunities and, you know, he... he he really knew his players and he, he knew his formations and knew how to defend. And I think we were sort of, you know, fairly lucky, I'd say, in a lot of games. But we, we probably deserved some as well because, we, you know, we, we, we did stick together. And, you know, to win to win those sort of trophies, you know, within one or two seasons is, 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 you know, is unheard of, really, nowadays. Yeah, well, and the best defence in the, in the league as well um, for a number of years. So you had that backup. You know, you could look behind you and think, yeah, yeah, we're not conceding hardly any today. So, yeah, you know that that era was absolutely brilliant for the club. Who was who was the best player you played with at Arsenal, and the best player you played against, and uh, and why? Um, the best, the best, the best player asked probably like I say when 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 I was in there, yeah, yeah, right. He was in Adam, Boldy, Davo. There's a lot of like Davo looked after me as a kid. You know, he was one of the senior lads, and then he really looked after us. But but probably the one that sticks out, is, you know, is Dennis Burkamp. You know, when Dennis Dennis came came in, um, you know, the game itself, Premiership was changing quite a lot. A lot of sort of international players were coming in to the Premier League. But he was, you know, I, I learned a lot off him. He, he was a real nice, down-to-earth guy. And he's, you know, his ability was frightening. You know, in training, you know, he was 10 times better than he probably was in games. Because, you know, you see him on a day-to-day basis. And... I think in his his head everything was slow motion to him because he was feet were so quick it was just sort of all slow motions whereas us us lads were sort of scrambling around trying to get the ball he, he he would make things look so easy but he he was probably the guy that is the best player I played with and like I say just learning as a young lad you know he was the first one on the training pitch you know he was the last one to leave the training pitch he did fifty free kicks from different angles every day and uh, you know when you sort of look at that. You know that was a, a proper professional. He was he was a good fellow. He was you know he was nice to people, nice to the fans, and um, yeah, he was he was just a fantastic player, a fantastic fellow. You know, 
Oh yeah, the Iceman, as he's known as, he's, there's a reason for that as well. One of, one, of, one of the greatest that I've, you know, I was very lucky to grow up in the in the nineties, um, seeing players in the nineties and the early two thousands. I was very, very, very lucky to grow up um, witnessing a player like Dennis Burkhardt. But who, you know, who's the best player you played against? It's, it's a difficult one. I've, you know, I've, I've been asked that question before, and I don't think I've really had anyone where that I've played against that. I've either been frightened off or, you know, but that's, that's why we played, we played um, AC Milan in the uh, Super Cup final the following season after the, um, uh, I think it was after the Cup winners actually, they, they'd they won a domestic trophy, I think we won the FA Cup and we played them at Highbury and uh, we drew nil-nil with them and then we played them at San Siro and we got beat 2-0 but I, I, someone sent me a, a thing on WhatsApp the other day and it was the squad that played for them and it was like, you had like Maldini, Baresi, uh, Albertini, um, Donadoni, Costa Curta, Canio was there, you know, um, Capello was the manager. Well, that team itself was, you know, as a young lad, you know, I didn't, at the time, I didn't really sort of take on board the players they had. But when you, when I sort of, you know, when I've got older, obviously, look at the team and stuff, that team was absolutely frightening. The names they had, you know, World Cup winners, lads that were, you know, full fresh pros and, you know, and the, 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 the best parts of their careers. You know, that was, of the best team that I've ever come up against. And, and you know, we did all, we should have beaten the high, but we did all right against them. Um, but yeah, Desai was a handful. Obviously he was a big lad. He was, you know, physical. Um, you know, but I didn't really, it wasn't really, I know, to be honest with you, it sounds a bit crazy, but um, John Moncur, West Ham. You know, I remember, I remember playing, after playing against these players, I remember playing against him once and he was one of the, I couldn't get near him. You know, he was sort of, you know, he was he was underrated when he was at West Ham, but his touch and his passing and, you know, he, he was, you know, whether I was having a bad day as well, I'm not too sure, but uh, he he was really hard to to get hold of uh, in, in the game we played against. I think they beat us actually uh, at Highbury, but, um, but yeah, there's no one really that sort of sticks out, but, the, you know, team-wise for me, that, that AC Milan team we played was, you know, looking back at it, was frightening. You know, that would, you know, a real good, strong team there. Yeah, that um, you've just triggered all my good <laughs> memories of kids from Italian football. I'm a massive '90s Italian football enthusiast. I used to watch it religiously every Sunday yeah. on Channel Four. Yeah, I'm sorry. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. all those all those names that you've just thrown up from uh, AC Milan. I just uh, it was in my, ticking around in my head, thinking, "Oh God, bring back them days." Uh, I didn't, and I, I didn't expect you to say John Moncur as well. I, I, you know, I didn't. I, no. Football fan, I never realised how good he was. Well, unless he was just on fire in his particular game, but he was sort of he was he was quite sort of chirpy during the game, winding players up and stuff. But he was he was just shifting into little pockets, and it was really hard to any of us to get anywhere near him. Every time we got close to him, he just laid the ball off, and it was sort of one of those George Brown went nuts at half time because no one could get at him and, and even even to kick him, you know. But um, you know, he, he had a decent career out of it. But a lot it surprised a lot of people because obviously. A, been fortunate to play against a lot of European teams, um, you know, when I was at Arsenal. And, you know, but I didn't really, there wasn't, I think George had this little thing where he put little things in your head, sort of say, look, you're going out there. I know you're playing against, you know, when we played that AC Milan team, you know, some big names there, but it was a chance for you to to sort of state your claim. And basically it was you against the other guy and, and you know, try and come out on top. And uh, yeah, he gave you that belief that you could do it. And, um, you know, even sort of level-wise, these guys were far better than I ever was or ever could have been. Um, but uh, you, you put up a performance and you've you done the best you can and actually did all right, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, the Arsenal culture, off the pitch, you know, it was common knowledge around that time. Where did you, I know you mentioned earlier in the show you are quite a quiet lad um, in the youth team and all that and when you went away onto the, you know, the football camps away with all the other lads from around the country. Where did you fit into all that yourself, you know? Um because, of course, you had the, the players that had their, you know, drink problems behind the scenes. And where, where did you fit into all that? Were you quite, quite a quiet one still and didn't really get involved? or? Uh, I, I, was, I think initially I was sort of around the fringes of it. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You When you're in that environment, you're, you're there sort of training with them every, pretty much every day. You're sort of, you're there more than you are at your own home. So, you know, you're, you're part of it as a team. And if, if uh, you know, especially on the pre-season trips, you know, if we all, if the team travelled away in our club suits, the first thing we do when we get to, you know, normally at Stansted, you'd be in the bar there and your club suits on, having a few pints and on the plane. You know, when I remember to South Africa pre-season over there, we, you know, it was a long trip over and all the lads were, you know, steaming on the, the plane going over. And, you know, we, but George Graham on these, these sorts of trips, 
you know, he, he made sure that, you know, he didn't mind you going out for a beer. As long as you didn't get the club into trouble, get yourself into trouble, he didn't really have too much of an issue. You know, as long as you were playing well when you was on time for training and training hard, you know, he didn't have too much of a problem with it. So he, he'd give you a little bit of grace that way. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 was, it was, I think it's just those times, part and parcel of the, the 90s where, you know, the social scene was massive. You know, I, I tell people that, you know, when I was when I was there and the games were finished at Highbury, you finished the game and Tony Donnelly would come in with a couple of crates of beer, whack them on the bench and, you know, you'd have a beer where you're getting changed. You know, in the bath, you'd have a beer. You go to the players' lounge, see your, your family, your girlfriend, you'd have a couple of free pints over there and then all of a sudden you're in London on a sort of Saturday night. So you've had, you know, probably five pints an hour after a game, you know, and it, 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 you're sort of in that environment that if you, if you didn't get involved with it, you know, you'd probably be sort of looked to look down upon maybe I'm not too sure you know but uh, it, it was it was it was an unbelievable experience you know it was um, you know obviously I live, I live in Surrey and you know I was driving up to the training so for me you know a lot of lads live locally uh, in Hertfordshire sort of in local areas so they they obviously spent you know the senior players would probably live quite close to each other so they would be out a lot more than other boys but um, you know it, you know players would come in you could tell they'd been drinking you know but when the games came around, everyone seemed to be on it and focused and, you know, didn't seem to be, you know, too much of an issue. Um, but obviously when, uh, obviously George went, you know, a few managers come in between uh, him and Arsene. But when Arsene came in, he, he pretty much, you know, shut it all down. And I think it probably needed to be shut down because, you know, it was it was probably getting a little bit out of hand. Players were getting themselves in trouble. You know, but obviously back in them days, there was no real mobile phones, so no camera phones and, you know, so... Um, you know, the players had to, you know, properly toe the line and, you know, the bar was shut. You know, it was just teas and coffees and, you know, the lads were doing yoga and all the fitness, the diets completely changed, you know, eating good food and, you know, and it, and it you know, and it always, I think when you look at that back four from under George, you know, if, if they would continue probably under George, they probably wouldn't have gone as long. But when Arsene came in, you know, because they, they followed the regime and they enjoyed being with Arsene, I think, you know, their careers, you know, extended probably another five or six years. Yeah, I've, I've I've read all about it, and um, I've got Ian Wright's autobiography upstairs in my house here. And uh, yeah, I read I read about the changes that Arsene Wenger made when he came in, and you know, there's a few grumbles about the food and stuff like that. You know, because what he's you know, what's British lads, you know, British lads are like, you know, it's very very set in their ways with stuff, and yeah. like they're like they're like they're uh, creature comforts. And uh, yeah, I've, I read all about that. It's a brilliant read, and uh, but I'll. I'll our times have changed now. I mean, uh, but yeah, the, some of the dietary requirements they've got now. I mean, I where I worked a couple of years ago was yeah, it was two years ago actually. Um, Liverpool played Napoli in a friendly, and um, up, up at Murrayfield because I live in Scotland, so they played them at Murrayfield, and I had to prepare food for the Liverpool teams when I was working at the Hilton. And uh, you should have seen the dietary requirements, Ian. It was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Some of the list you had the player. And they're li- obviously, I'm not going to mention who and stuff like that, but their list of requirements for each player. And, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't touch one thing and then go and touch another thing just in case it cross-contaminated. And oh, it was just an absolute nightmare. And, and that's what it is these days. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just what it is. Um, so, so yeah, that's my the, little story. Anyway. So the players had individual sort of food that they would eat. They wouldn't be able to sort of go off that. They just had their own set requirement yeah well yeah well basically wow you, you try you couldn't you couldn't do a whole team meal because there's so many players in the team that have different dietary requirements well wow. so you had, to, you had to do loads of different ones do you know <laughs> what i mean it was just it was a nightmare it was an absolute we just thought when it, the list was going we just thought a load of pasta a load of salads and load of this yeah. and load of that there's loads of players that are, there's a few that are gluten-free and then there was the ones with other no meat and some know pork and some know this and some know that. And it was just like, oh, my God. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really tough, folks. I know, I know when Arsene came in, obviously, you know, the diet's changed. But I remember, you know, on, on game day, so you've got to kick off at three o'clock. You know, we'd be in a hotel the night before and stuff. And you, 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 you wouldn't really have a breakfast. You'd sort of come down and it would literally be boiled chicken, plain pasta that's, you know, overcooked. There was no sauces with it. And it, it's quite like I never used to have a big breakfast anyway, but you're sort of you're sort of forced to try and get this stuff down you, you know, and of course, if you don't eat a lot of it, by the time you get around to 11, 12 o'clock, obviously you're hungry again. So you're sort of forcing this stuff down, um, you know, just to sort of make sure you've, 
you've got just enough in the body for the game. But uh, yeah, it's not easy. But um, you know, it, it it was always going to happen. I think. I think the way football was going back in the nineties was it was sort of going off track a little bit. And obviously, you know, the you know the continental managers that came in sort of changed a lot of the the drinking habits and. Yeah, the, the the players now are, are, are proper athletes. You know, they they are proper athletes. Yeah, definitely. Do you, do you think? Just going to go a, a little bit off topic here. Off the do you, talking about athletes, the players. Do you think that's why there's more injuries in the game now because they're they're maybe overtrained? If that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot more. I notice it a lot. Yeah, I think I think there is a bit of that, but I think I think also. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to come across wrong. I know the, the the modern professional footballer. Any slight, you know, injury, they seem to be out. Whereas back when, you know, in the nineties, we'd have we had, you know, we had Gary Lewin as the the physio. Uh, we had the club doctor, and that was pretty much it. There wasn't a masseuse under George. That's that's pretty much what you had. But your whole thing was to whatever happens, you're in the first team. You're going to be fit for the first team. So you you would have, you know, you'd have your, your ankle strapped up just to get through training to make sure you're fit for a game. You'd take a few volt roll, paracetamol tablets before games to knock out some pain. And, and you know, I, I remember sort of going through my career, you know, from not just from Arsenal, from from other clubs and, uh, you know, getting cortisone injections in your, your ankles, your toes, you know, you, any, any, any issues you have on your body, um, you, you'll just get it knocked out by an injection, you know, just to make sure that you're you're fit for these games. I don't know whether nowadays the modern professional, you know, you sometimes you do wonder, you know, if, if they had a, I don't remember starting any game where I was a hundred percent fit. There'd always be something that was niggling, whether it be, you know, whatever it was, it was just something, there was always something, you know, whether it's a bit of stiffness, whether it's a bruised foot, whether it's a, you know, sore ankle, whatever it was, it was always something that you had before the game, but you, you warmed up well, you looked after it and, and you got on with it. Whereas nowadays I just think, you know, I might be wrong, but I, I do think a lot of lads will miss training. Um, you know, they'll miss games. You know, they know they're going to get paid. You know, is there that desire to to get into the team and stay in the team? You know, I'm not too sure that's there now. And I know that there's a lot of, I won't name them, but there's a lot of academies that, you know, that have got 16 to 18 year olds on their books and they go in in the morning and they've got iPads and they, you know, mark yourself out of one to 10. How do you feel today? Well, six. You know, how do you, What's what's sore on my hamstrings? What's so you they, they're already you're inputting stuff into how you're feeling, but it can I think it can put a flip side to that a bit of a negative thing on that that they go in every day people go to work they feel tired you know there's always something that you know you feel a bit tired a bit jaded you know so it, but they would their training routine would if they felt tired it would reduce because they were tired and I think you know I don't know whether that's anything to do with you know some of these young players that disappear at the game but I think you know in them days as a as an 18 year old you would run for a brick wall and, you know, if you had, your leg was hanging off, you still get up and try and say, right, well, yeah, I'm fit for tomorrow, Gaff, right, I'll play. But I, I do believe there's the, I don't think there's that side in the game anymore. I think, you know, it's probably unfair to tie, tie, you know, sort of tie everyone with that, but there's definitely a lot of players that, you know, happy to, to not play because they got a slight knock. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, but there is a, there is a flip side to that as well. Non-league football, and that's what we're going to move on to now. Um, you do still get the players that will run through brick walls because um, they want to get as far in the game as possible, and just just for the love of the game and the love of the club, um, they 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 will train us. You know, they'll give it a hundred percent in training every time, even with with an injury, they'll still they'll still go for it. Um, obviously, Dial Square FC starting out in the Guildford and Woking Alliance. Um, when did you hear about Dial Square Football Club, and what's your What's your thoughts in regards to where the club want to go? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing. I, you know, I first heard, obviously, we use uh, my academy. Um, we use the uh, Abbey Rangers uh, 3G pitch there. And uh, I was talking to Dennis one day, the chairman, and uh, you know, he said that you know, you're, you, you're training there and you're playing there. So uh, obviously I've done a little bit of research and you know, I think it's fantastic. I think, I think you know, it's, it's, it's happening more and more now, I think, sort of uh, on, on sort of football at the moment where, you know, fans are, are potentially losing a bit of interest because, you know, it, you know, football's gone down the sort of money orientated route, you know, I think, you know, there's so much football in the game at the moment. I think, you know, fans can get forgotten about a little bit. And I think, you know, I've, I've, I think, I don't know what the stats are, but I'm pretty sure sort of from sort of non-league level down, I'm pretty sure the support's got bigger and bigger because, because people now are probably thinking, well, do you know what? I can go down the road, around the corner, support my local team. You know, I can watch a decent game of football. I can have a beer, take the kids down there and, and have a good time, you know, and it, it's, it's, 
you know, you, you're investing into these sort of lower league clubs. And, um, you know, I know for a fact that, you know, I'm, I'm good mates with the Chelsea Town chairman, Mark Turner. And, uh, you know, all my mates for Saturday, they were, they were all sort of Tottenham fans, Man United fans, Chelsea fans, and they, they would go and watch all the London clubs play normally. But he, he's gone down there and turned it around. And the environment he's got there now, he's got a great smashing new bar down there. You know, the girlfriends go, the wives go down there, the kids go down there to play as well. And it's it's a real good, enjoyable afternoon. It, it, it's local, it's around the corner. And I think, you know, what, what you guys have achieved so far is fantastic. And I think, you know, if you continue to do that, the crowds will get better, the club will get bigger. Uh, and, and, you know, hopefully over a period of time, it will take you to where you want to be. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the, the people at the club, all the fan owners, all trying to trying to grow the club and everyone can get involved. All they have to do is buy a membership and they get a say in everything that happens in the, in the boards. You know, they get a vote on everything and... That's how to me. That's how football should be. Uh, you know, uh, the fans are an extension of the of the players on the pitch, and you know, it's all one big heartbeat. So you all got to muck in together, and that's 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 how football or football fandom, I should say, should should be really. Um, and that's what you, that's what you get at non-league level, and that's what people are going to get with Dial Square. Uh, England, Ian, you you were you under twenty-one honours, was it? Yeah, I was. I was. I was quite lucky. I, I was. I had uh, a few caps under sixteen, uh, under eighteens, nineteens, uh, and twenty ones. So the twenty ones team, to be honest, we had a we had a great team. Um, yeah, we we went to Australia, went to Toulon as well for the World Cup, uh, and we had you know players like Jamie Redknapp, uh, Sol Campbell, uh, who else? Nicky Barmby, Chris Bart Williams, um, David Unsworth. We had a real good. Uh, a real good side, you know, and uh, you know it was great to sort of sort of meet up with these guys. Because normally, you know, as young lads, you're sort of playing against each other, but uh, you know, to, to meet up with them and and you know, go on a journey where we got some decent results and picked up a few a few honours was was fantastic. And it, yeah, it was a real sort of to play for England was a real um, emotional thing. I think you know, you, obviously fans will understand it. You sort of you you play for your you know your club size, and, and the time when this came around actually, it was a big hoo ha about it because. We uh, Arsenal were having a decent FA Cup run um, that year, and uh, we had to buy FA ruling, had to go away with England. So, you know, I was in the first team at Arsenal. We got pulled away for some games uh, for England, which was great. Um, I, I tweaked my hamstring in one of the games there, so I was uh, out injured. Came back, and um, you know, I lost my place for the FA Cup final, so I was on the bench for that uh, against Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday. So that was. Yeah, a bit of a downside to that, but you know, to go away and play for your country was, you know, is fantastic. Walking down, yeah, you know, when you see when you see your name on the back of an England shirt, you know, it's a real sort of emotional thing that you, you know, and you go out there, the national anthem plays, and you're sort of looking up at the stat. It's, it's brilliant. You know, it's a really real good feeling. You're playing against lads, you know, the best all around the world. You know, and uh, you know, as a sort of a young young man in that environment with some good quality players and some real good lads as well, real good bunch of lads, real good fun. It was fantastic. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, every young kid's dream is to put on their country's uh, shirt, you know, and and win an England cap or Scotland or Ireland or whatever whatever country they're from. So yeah, um, I can I can imagine, mate. Honestly, I, I, I can, uh, especially going and playing in Australia as well. It yeah. must have been amazing. It was, it was, yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was away for four weeks. <laughs> you know, I just got a new girlfriend at the time, so I was sort of devastated, half devastated when I went. Because obviously, you know, when you're that age, you know, fell in love and all that sort of stuff and uh, got real homesick in a period of time over there. But yeah, to go over there and that, and like I say, the, the, the players we had were a real, you know, decent bunch and were good fun. You know, we were, we had a real good time as well. And um, yeah, the good, the good thing about those trips as well, well yeah, we came back, we, we literally probably two weeks into the trip, uh, the, the kit manager was was banging down the doors because all the lads had been nicking all the England kit. <laughs> so we had, to, we, had, we, had, we had to have a team meeting. You know, every, every day we'd have new kits, so we had to have a team meeting to sort of hand some of this kit back just to make sure it it reached the end of the trip. And he said, after the last day of training, he said, just take what you want. So, literally, <laughs> yeah, we all come back with all this England kit. And, you know, but uh, no, it was, a re- it was a real good time. And like I say, Australia was an amazing place as well. Yeah, we went over there, and uh, you know, like I say, we had a couple of nights out during the trip as well, which was great fun. Bond, we visited Bondi Beach, which was amazing, and uh, yeah, it was real, real good memories. And it, it sort of stemmed off, obviously, like I say, playing well for Arsenal and playing some good games for them. And uh, you know, all of a sudden, very, very quickly, we got that chance, and um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I, I wish I'd become a footballer now. I wish I was good <laughs> enough. Yeah, Bond. Bondi Beach, nights out in Australia, four weeks away in Australia. Yeah, oh, 
Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't even get him a school <laughs> team, so there you go. <laughs> well listen, listen, they've done great days, but it was it was you know, it's like anything. When you go there, obviously you 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 know, when your training times come around, you've got to perform and you know, I, I was quite lucky then because uh right, Ray Wilkins was was involved in that that and um you know, Ray was a fantastic fellow and that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, I went to Fulham after Arsenal. You know, he was a real top guy and uh you know he looked after the players and made sure it was all right and you know he obviously knew we were all young men you know and uh he, he sort of you know gave us a little bit of time off here and there just to sort of let our air down a little bit which made the group a little bit tighter and uh you know we did well but uh yeah it was it was yeah like it's like anything when you're sort of obviously coaching young kids now and you know they they some of them just think they can just put a shirt on and play for arsenal it's, there's a, you know it's like with that there's a lot of there's a lot of work that's got to go in before that happens you know a lot of luck right place, right time. But ultimately, you've got to sacrifice a, a lot of things at a young age to and, and work twice as hard as the person you know, that's in your position in your team to sort of get the better of them. And, and you know, you're not even then, you're not guaranteed to get that that opportunity. So, you know, it's it's a long process and a lot of givings up, but, you know, the rewards are fantastic and the memories, you, you know, you can't take away. Oh, I can quite imagine. I can quite imagine. Um, so... <laughs> Can I move on to something a little, little bit different now? Um, what are your obviously a bit of modern football again? What are your thoughts on VAR? I want to know. It's, it's something that intrigues me with players from like the seventies, eighties, or nineties. Yeah, that um, obviously didn't play when VAR played when VAR was VAR wasn't around, so to speak. What What are your thoughts on it? Uh, a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. I think initially when yeah, well, it was spoken about, I think. I think it was a good idea. I think um, you know, there's a lot of decisions that that weren't happening that was costing club teams millions of pounds and revenue. You know, not getting through to the next round of a competition. Yeah, you know, I remember an England game once. Lampard hit a ball from outside the. I can't remember it was against. Hit the crossbar, went over the line. That could have put England through to the the next round. You know, but you know, we got knocked out. So that, that sort of things. I thought. I think. I think it was a good idea, but it's just getting too complicated now. And I think you know the referees. I prefer a referee to just refer a game on his own, to be honest. And, and, you know, he's going to make mistakes. He's not going to give the right decisions, but it's, it's normally a fair, a fair reflection for both teams. Whereas VAR, you know, it, it just seems confusing. And, you know, I think managers and players are a little bit unsure of what's where. And the, the guys in the main room that are making the decisions as well, you know, you know, they can watch it 10 times, but still make the wrong decision. Um, you know, it, it needs a lot of cleaning up and it needs to be, if it's, if it's going to continue, it needs to be spot on every single time. It, it can't keep making mistakes, you know. Um, it just can't happen. Yeah, 100%. Uh, don't, don't get me started on it, honestly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it undermines, because my, my mate refs, right? He, uh, he's a referee. He's a referee. He started at county level. He does women's football. He's, he's moving up the grades and all that. And then when you get to the top level, you're pretty much dictated to by a you know, by this this VAR thing, I think it undermines a referee's skill set a bit that is built up and his his um, sort of decision making skills that is is built up from grassroots all the way to the top. But hey, that's just that's just me. That's just my thinking anyway. I'll probably get shot down in flames by <laughs> by some other people listening in for that. But yeah, that's just no, my I, opinion. I, I, um, I totally agree. Though. I totally agree because like I say they, they they've got to be scared to make decisions nowadays. If they if they miss something, it's going to get picked up. And you know, like I say, I think you're just best letting them. You know, giving them the, the best coaching, the best training you can, and I just think let them just get on with it and ref the game as they would see it. You know, um, yeah, you, know, you can you can sort of minimise decisions on the VAR to certain things, but ultimately give the, the ref a bit more responsibility and let him ref the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, what's the uh, funniest story you've got from your playing days at Arsenal? Um, I, I, I know the dressing room would have been lively. You mentioned it earlier. Um, I've seen I've seen some videos and clips from uh, some Arsenal documentaries I've watched of Wrighty bouncing around a bit in there and <laughs> I, I, honestly is it honestly just one thing out of that uh, would be great for our, uh, our listeners to uh, well, to hear a lot of the stories I probably can tell you on air to be honest <laughs> but, nah, um, probably not yeah <laughs> most of them do involve Wrighty you know. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's there's a few you know I, I, I speaking the other day to an Arsenal fan we were chatting about one there was we went to Norway for it was my first pre-season trip and uh you know George Graham uh, had a night out with uh, like a local supporters club in Norway so the lads were allowed to go out for a couple of beers under Stuart Houston and it was you know George said look have two beers get him out and was basically on a boat trip 
Um, and, and what happened? We, we obviously George got dropped off in the local town to meet all these supporters and stuff. And then we, you know, we went to the dock to get on this boat. And uh, there was a there's a bungee um, rope thing that was on the dock there. So we sort of as we pulling up, sort of right, he's right, he's seen it, and he sort of looked out the window. And of course, you know, he's like he, just, he was just like going, "Man, I'm going to get on now. I'm going to." So literally, the, the door opened the bus. Stuart's like, you ain't going on there. You know, we got training tomorrow. We got a game in a couple of days. You know, you know, you're not getting to get injured anyway. He's he's legged out the the, the the coach, gone over to the thing, literally pushed his way to the front of the queue, got on it, and literally <laughs> by the time we've got off the bus, he's halfway up the lift going up the thingy. So he's you know he's just bouncing around up there. He's got. To, it took him about ten minutes to get to the top. He sort of got to the top one there, and of course all the lads now crowded around. Stuart Euston's you know looks like a ghost. He's absolutely cackling himself. And he's just hurled himself off the top. And of course, um, you know, he's bouncing around for a good five, ten minutes and that. And he's got down. And as he's as he's sort of come off, all the lads are giving him a round of applause. He started to limp as he's come over. So he's he's done his groin coming uh, as as he's sort of bounced around there. So as he's coming down, like Stuart's going nuts at him. All the lads are sort of, you know, pissing themselves laughing. And he, he basically ruled himself out of training and the game's over there because he'd done his groin. He was out for a couple of weeks for his groin. So George, obviously, the next thing. <laughs> and of course, there's photographs in the local press, you know, of him jumping off this bungee rocket thing. So George went absolutely ballistic. You know, absolutely ballistic. <laughs> and, then, and after that, we went to this boat trip and, um, you know, there was just, you know, the lads basically, we were, we were allowed two beers, but literally was on there for about six hours. And there was, you know, there was plenty of food on there. There was all the local girls on there. It was, you know, it was a, it was a proper night out. So, um, but yeah, most, most of these stories involve, Right here, if I'm honest, you know, we we was at uh, when Arsenal took over, we was at um, uh, we also uh, to go to Sotwell House Hotel around the corner from the training grounds to get changed, had breakfast, and uh, yeah, we all got changed at our breakfast, and we had uh, it was on the old JVC bus that Arsenal had. It was like a three quarter bus. The academy used it as well, and it used to take us to from Sotwell House to London Colney, which is about a ten minute ride. And Sotwell House was on like a country, little country road at middle of nowhere. So we all the players on the bus and that, and it, I think it was Bobby Arm at the kit manager he, he was he was slow coming out the hotel so the lads are on the bus and right he's at the front sitting in the driver's seat and he's onking the awning now and of course poor old Bobby's trying to get the skips on the back of the bus and um, anyway right he's, the keys are in it so he's trying to start it up when of course he's managed to start it up the kit man you know he's trying to get these skips on the back of the bus I'm, I looked across and literally I'd, I was sitting on a double chair I've got my boots next to me on one of my chairs I'm sitting there and I look across Dave Seaman's on the other side and literally he looks at he looks at the front of the bus that Dave Seaman did he sort of literally just got behind the seat and pushed himself in between the two seats. So, of course, I've done the same. And, right, he's trying to get this gear stick. And, he's of course, he's had big gear sticks on them buses, isn't they? He's trying to force it into his yeah, yeah. touchdown. Anyway, he's rammed it into gear, first gear. And, of course, we're, we're off now. We're going down this country lane. I'm sort of looking behind the kit man's going nuts when the skips falling out the back of the bus. And as we, we've gone about 300 yards <laughs> down this country lane, there's a, there's a golf course with, like, um, a meshy fence that goes down the left-hand side. The, the coach and literally a car's come the other way around the bend so right now he's he's panicking trying to put the foot on the brake but obviously it's still in gears the, the bus is bear in mind all the lads are on there he's jumping up and down and he's pulled to the left just missed his car but he's ripped a good 300 yards of this golf course fence now <laughs> all the way down this country lane and of course the, the, eventually the bus you know has come to a a, a halt sort of shook and just basically stalled himself and of course you know right he, he was Probably panicking, but the um, yeah, he caused thousands of thousands of pounds worth of damage down the fence, which had to be replaced. The bus was wrecked all the way down that side, you know. And the, kit, <laughs> the poor old kit man had to take the blame for it. <laughs> it just, just seeing the lads' faces initially, the lads were sort of laughing as a joke, but then they thought, hang on, he's heading towards the main road, and he's got he literally he's, he's hit the fence and he's just dragging this meshy fence down the off. Oh, it was it was funny to start with, but then all the lads started panicking, but yeah, he got a uh, he got away with it, but the kit man, um, you know, I'm sure he sorted the kit man out. The kit man got a bit of a bollock in for that one. <laughs> you can't beat it. You'll never get anything like that these days. None of them no. stories. I mean, it's just, like, there's no, it seems to be no characters left. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just getting, maybe I'm just getting old. No, I don't know. You're, I don't, but... you're probably right. I say in them days, with, with him, there's always, there's always something going on. You know, always, he was always, he's just like a big kid, basically. You, you couldn't, it was really hard, I think, I'm sure, from George to control him. But, uh, you know, he'd come down, I mean, when the old Bowers come out, the old single track uh, roller skates, he, when they first came out, he, he got a pair. We were playing Man, Man United at Ivory. And all, all the lads laughing. And, it, and when you sort of park your car in a JVC car park, you've got to walk through the main stand. And it's up, down, corridors. It takes a good eight, ten minutes to get down. And, of course, he's, 
he's got out his car, he's put these blades on, he can't, he can't use them, but he's, bear in mind, he's kicking off in an hour and a half time against Man United. He's trying to go down these corridors. He's falling over. He's stacking himself, coming down the stairs. You know, you can hear the lads looking down the tunnel. He's coming down there half a mile an hour. He's, he's flying down his tunnel. And he's, you know, he's stacking it. <laughs> and George Graham's come out of staff room. And he, again, he's just looked at him. Yeah, you know, he hasn't said nothing, but he's just gave him that, that, that George stare. Yeah, you know, what, you know, what are you doing? But he, he just, I think, I think George knew he just got to let him get on with it. You know, it's, it's, it's part of his personality. It's part of what he is. And, you know, he's just a great guy to have in the change room. There's always something going on with him, you know? Yeah, what a character. Yeah, I've read his book. Do you know what? I could, when you said that about the blades, I, I swear that could be in his book, you know. I, oh, really? I read it about three years ago. Yeah, it, three, three years ago, some of that I read his book. And I haven't read it since. So it, it might be. I'm, I'm going to scan through it later, actually, and see if it actually is in there. Um, but yeah, you can't beat you can't beat Wrighty. I mean, what a character! And yeah, I've, I've seen so many videos of him in a like, dressing room and that, just bouncing around and like, <laughs> that's, that's just, just like it's a party he, constantly. Yeah, that's just how he was all the time. You know, I say you know he he he, he rubbed a few players up the wrong way sometimes, just because the way he was. But you know, end of the day, you know the lads respected him and he respected the lads, and that's how he was. So you know that was part of his is what he did you know and uh, like I say as a, obviously I've turned to management now as, as a manager it, it must be quite hard to to you know you've got to give him that freedom but at the same time you know you've got to probably limit him a little bit but um, no he's a fantastic guy and he's he's Arsenal through and through and uh, you know as a, as a player he was first class you know he you know his record speaks for itself you know and um, having him in the team you know, he was he was really easy to play with as well. You know, he knew where he was going to go. If he came short towards me, he knew he was going to go in behind. If he went behind, he knew he was going to come. He was just made, he made things very very simple, and he turned a he turned a bad ball, an average ball, into a good pass where he get on the end of it and he score. So um, yeah, just a fantastic player. Yeah, one of the best, one of my childhood heroes. Anyway. Um... So, Ian, what what are you up to at the moment? What what's Ian Selly doing with himself these days? Well, we we, we got back from uh, Dubai um, about a year and a half ago. Um, I was working for Arsenal. Arsenal had an academy there, so I went over there as the head coach. Uh, and we had we had uh, a real good eight years. We went there for eight years. So I was working as an academy coach uh, for Woking Kingstonians in the UK. Got a bit disillusioned with the UK. The wife had just finished a, a current contract, and um, yeah, I approached Arsenal if they had any roles, you know, in the UK or abroad. And, and there was Dubai, Oman, and Greece that came up. So obviously, Dubai sort of stood out, and it's you know, obviously it's, uh, it's where Emirates are from, the, the main sponsor. And uh, yeah, went for an interview, and they wanted someone with a bit of Arsenal DNA that understood the club, and, and yeah, we got accepted and went across there. And uh, it's fantastic, you know. We we were our training ground was like a Premiership training ground. We were, you know, we had all kids from all different nationalities, different religions, and uh, you know, the the environment that was already there was was brilliant. You know, I think when I when I first went there, I thought I was a real good coach, but you know, I learned uh, I learned a lot when I was there. Obviously, dealing with different different nationalities, and they all behave in different ways, and you know, trying to get the best out of these young players. Yeah, we had kids from sort of six to to 16 years old um, we had probably about 500 kids a week that would come through the school so um, you know it was, it was really hectic and you know we'd, we'd have you know not say 500 kids coming through we'd have you know three three teams in each age group which were all playing league games and I was sort of in control of you know employing part-time coaches that would take sessions and take the games and you know it was, it was brilliant really loved it but anyway yeah, we came back from there um, with two two girls we had two girls um, which we came back with as well even Esme and then, uh, yeah, we, we sort of uh, sort of looked around. I've, I've gone joint manager at Sandhurst at the moment uh, in Combine, Combine Counties League, um, which is a joint manager, you know, with Ryan. I've known Ryan for a long time and stuff. And, uh, you know, the, I've got a lot of enjoyment going into the adult game now. So I've been working sort of as a youth coach for a long time, but sort of to come into an adult environment now has been fantastic. And, uh, yeah, just been busy. Obviously, the lockdown's kicked in a few times, which has killed it a little bit. But, yeah, so we're, we're up and running on that. I've got my own academy, which runs out of um, uh, Abbey Rangers, uh, which is instantly Pro Performance Academy. That's been going for just over a year now. And um, it's been fantastic. You know, I mean, all the local players coming in, boys and girls, you know, we give them sort of elite training sessions during the week. Um, we've managed to get ourselves now into a few local schools, which has been fantastic. Uh, and obviously working with Arsenal doing the uh, the commentary for some of the games, so it's been um, yeah, sort of all bits and pieces really. But it's 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 all still involved with football and and still doing something I love doing. And when I get up in the morning, you know, I look forward to going training, whether it be coaching the, the kids or coaching the adults, uh, and just being in that sort of uh, plan environment. 
Yeah, brilliant. I'm so I'm really glad you're so involved in the game, um, especially at non-league level as well. So yeah, well done to you, mate. Um, and then the, the Dubai thing as well. What a, what a place to go and work. I mean, I'd love to go. It's one of my it's one of my bucket list places to go is Dubai. I'd love to get over there one day. Um, for a week or two with the family and that, take them over. So, yeah. Yeah, you should. Um, it's, amazing. It's, 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 it's an amazing place. You know, we, we were quite fortunate because we were, the, the, obviously, the Academy wasn't um, a franchise, so it was owned by Emirates and owned by Arsenal. So, we, we would get a lot of the first team players come over to visit us. And obviously, for the young kids there, you know, it was, it was brilliant. You know, the Van Persies came over before, you know, we had Arteta came over, we had all the, all the big players that come over. And, um, you know, obviously it was a, an Arsenal academy and, you know, it, it was just it was just nice to sort of obviously coming out of the game, retiring and going down the coaching route just to go back and put an Arsenal training kit back on and a club track. So it was it, it made it was a real good feeling to be back in that sort of environment. And uh, yeah, Dubai was amazing. It was like I say, we went there, just me and the wife uh, and we, we got two daughters when we came back. So it was, it was a real good place to live. Lifestyle was fantastic. It was safe. Um, yeah, I recommend you go there. It's a real we had a real good time there. I am going to go there one day. I'm taking the miss and the family. Definitely. Um, I'd love to see it all, honestly. I watch stuff on it all the time and I've had loads of mates that have gone and they've they just loved it. They always go back. So, uh, Ian, um, going to wrap it up there, mate. Honestly, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. This is massive for Dial Square um, for having a former Arsenal legend on. So, yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I'm sure that all the fan owners are going to appreciate it as well. All the listeners are going to appreciate all the stories and all all the answers that you gave and stuff like that. It's been it's been amazing for me to interview you as well, Ian. No, thank you. So hopefully I'll be able to get down and watch a, watch a game or two. Obviously, it's only around the corner for me, so it'd be good to come down and maybe join in training a couple of times, keep yourself fit, you know, get back involved in it. Oh, is, it, is he hinting he could turn out for Dial Square? Well, I'm 46 oh, now. I'm 46 okay. now. I might do a little cameo, you know, coming off for 20 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I, do you know what? You probably have a, you have a, you wouldn't have lost it. So, oh, can you imagine that you coming on and playing? That'd be absolutely brilliant. Um, guys, we're on social media uh, at Dial Square FC One. That's the main club account, and of course, please follow at the Dialcast. That's for this podcast. That's the account for the podcast. Platforms you can catch us on are Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, as well as Pocket Cast and Breaker. Fan ownership options are. Available still at a reduced rate. No matter what option you choose, you still get an equal vote. But if you do opt for like the goals, you'll receive a shirt and scarf pin badge and free boardroom experience for when matches resume. Uh, it's a great deal. Honestly, it's well worth the money. Well worth the money. Um, be, a, be a part of your club. Um, get involved. Get amongst it. Please do. And if you would like to become a fan owner and have a say in how your club is run, then please email membership secretary, Joe Tester, and she can be reached by the email address, Joanne at dialsquarefc.com. It's well worth becoming a fan owner. I cannot stress enough. It's not a replacement of Arsenal. It's an alternative. You know, it's uh, football, how it should be watched. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, launch the new away kit. That will last for two seasons. It's only a couple of days away. Keep your eyes peeled on all the social media channels for that. I cannot wait to see what it looks like. And you have been listening to the Dialcast. I will be back next week with another guest. Ian, again, stay safe. Thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you.